0: My name is Randy, as Kevin just said, um, one of the uh, teaching team. We have here in our church, um, because of our intentionality about being a community-based church, community group-based, we have a teaching team on Sundays rather than just a focal single person that often is in a church, and we are thrilled to have some awesome people. And in this particular series, you're going to get to hear um, somebody new, and we're excited about that somebody. And you get to learn about that when you come one Sunday and hear them. I think right now we have a video clip. Not quite as good as Bob's. You cannot leave. A real warrior never quits. Watch me. Come on. How am I supposed to beat Tai Lung? I can't even beat you to the stairs. You will beat him because you are the Dragon Warrior. Ow! You don't believe that! Oh! You never believed that. From the first moment I got here, you've been trying to get rid of me. Yes! Ah, I was! But now I ask you to trust in your master as I have come to trust in mine. <sighs> You're not my master. And I'm not the Dragon Warrior. Then why didn't you quit? You knew I was trying to get rid of you, yet you stayed. Yeah, I stayed. I stayed because every time you threw a brick at my head or said I smelled, it hurt, but it could never hurt more than it did every day of my life just being me. I stayed because I thought if anyone could change me, could make me not me, it was you, the greatest Kung Fu teacher in all of China. But I can change you. I can turn you into the Dragon Warrior. And I will! Come on! Tai Lung is on his way here right now! And even if it takes him a hundred years to get here, how are you gonna change this into the Dragon Warrior? Huh? How? 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 I don't know! I don't know. That's what I thought. Not quite a biblical character there, but I think like Poe, There is a desire, a cry within every one of us for something more, to be something more, to be changed, to be not who I am, but who I could be. But at every turn, I think most of us face ourselves and our inadequacies and inabilities to be all that we wish we could be. This last uh, couple weeks ago, we started a new series called The Good and Beautiful Life. And we began by reflecting on the value and the importance that humankind puts on the desire for and the pursuit of happiness. And maybe above everything else, we desire to be happy. And as a result, we'll try and do just about anything to get it. The trouble is, is that we've believed a lie that says God, rather than desiring our good, has, through his laws and commands, withheld something good that we need to make us happy. And if we're going to get what we really need in life, we're going to have to take it to look out for ourselves, to be in control of ourselves and the world around us. And that taking charge of our lives and pursuing our own happiness happens to not always end very well. And we said a couple weeks ago that it really is a path that leads to the ruined life. Last week I said, however, that that's not the end of the story. The truth is, is that God created us in love. That he desires our good, sending his son Jesus to invite us to turn, changing our course, leading to the ruin from the ruined life and joining him in the path to the restored life. And I suggested that even for us who have been introduced to the restored life, some of us have misunderstandings. We have some of the narratives that we have about God or salvation or eternal life, even being a follower of Jesus or the kingdom of God or church or hell, that that some of those are askew. And as a result, we are hindered from finding and experiencing the fullness of this restored life. And so I want to just remind us, just very briefly, by referring to one of the illustrations I used last week. Matthew described the beginning of Jesus' ministry this way. He said, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what many hear in these words, or have preached as its meaning, is, Woe to you, wicked and wretched sinners, Turn from your wicked ways or God is going to get you. Hell and damnation await you. And while we have described that as good news, it really doesn't sound very much like good news to me. And in contrast, I suggested that when Jesus walked up to a few fishermen along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, what they heard was guys I have some incredible news for you. The life that you and your friends have always dreamed of, it's here. I can take you to it. Just turn away from what you've been doing and come with me. Believe me, it's more than you've ever dreamed of. And the result, the Bible tells us, was that they dropped their nets and followed him. When Jesus walked throughout the land, What people heard was, hey everybody, the time has come. New life is here. It's right here. Come and get it. It's free. And we're told that people came in droves by the thousands. This was good news. And everybody knew it. When Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, the people heard, the life you've always dreamed of has arrived. Come and get it. The message of the Bible about Jesus and the good and beautiful life is good news. In this series, we've talked already about the path to the ruined life. Last week, we touched on the path to the restored life. And this week, I want to talk about the path to the empowered life. But Before we head there, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I, I am so appreciative that I don't have to do this alone. That I am one of your many tools. I have said, Lord, here am I. Use me. And might I be that tool this morning from which and through which your empowerment brings a possibility of new life, of something that we've never dreamed of. And perhaps a vision of the means to begin to pursue that. Papa, I particularly ask that uh, for our guests who have come from various places and from ver- for various reasons, that they would meet you. That they would be able to walk away saying, I met God today. So come Holy Spirit, be the teacher, be the guide, be the comforter, fill us and lead us as we hear and listen to you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Since its earliest days, Humankind has used religion as a means to control the world around them to get what they want. If we appease the gods and do what they want, then our crops and livestock will produce well. Calamity will not fall upon us. Life will go well for us, and we will live happily ever after. Is essentially the basis and foundation of of most world's religions. Similarly, And sadly, when we look to the Bible as a set of laws or rules and regulations to live by, we miss the truth that God has invited us into relationship and a life of partnership with Him, as well as to a kind of life, a God-empowered life. God never intended for humankind to live separate, independent lives from Him. Living up to some kind of a standard that if we did, then we would be blessed. Think with me, if you could, about the Sermon on the Mount. A very familiar text. I'm going to be reading from Luke's Gospel, however. And he adds a few little uh, themes that are kind of cool. And I'm going to be reading quite a bit. uh, But I want you to listen to this out of this concept that we're talking about. The Bible is law and God inviting us into relationship. This is Jesus' most significant recorded talk for us in the Gospels. During those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer. When day came, he called his disciples. He chose 12 of them, whom he named apostles. Coming down the mountain with them, he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd, a multitude, the whole crowd, was trying to touch him. For power came out from him and healed them all. Then he looked up at his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other. From anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood arose, the river burst against that house but could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not act is like a person who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, immediately it fell and great was the ruin of that house. Are we not tempted to hear in those words a description of things that we should do and not do? Do we not hear rules and regulations that if we obey will somehow guarantee us some kind of a good and happy life? But they are not. They are not rules and regulations. They are, in contrast, a description of a kind of life. The kind of life that we have been created for. The kind of life that we long for. The good and beautiful life. What these words are saying is that anyone can come. It's open to all kinds of people. Especially almost the marginalized. That is the true message of these Beatitudes as we call them. It doesn't matter what kind of person you be. Poor, hungry, homeless, blind, lame, shunned, shut out. All are welcome to come. Rather than the Bible being a presentation of law or how to live in the sense of what to do and what not to do, the Bible really is a portrayal of a kind of life. The good and beautiful life we're calling it. Listen to these words that are very familiar to us from Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Does that not sound good? Anybody want any of that? Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. When Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about this good and beautiful life we were created for, that we long for. Matthew 6.33, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. But this is not something that we can do on our own. It's not a kind of life lived independently on our own. It's a life lived with an independence upon God. Independence. Not independent, but in dependence upon God. And with and in interdependence with others. It's a kind of life that includes a teacher and a community of fellow students. The invitation from Jesus to his disciples and to each one of us was, follow me, come be with me, learn from me. Unlike Poe's teacher, Master Shifu, who didn't know how to change Poe into the dragon warrior, Jesus knows how to train and equip us for the task of living in the kingdom of God. All of the highest aspirations that you or I would pick for our life from the New Testament, thinking of the Sermon on the Mount, thinking of 1 Corinthians 13, 2 Peter 1, Ephesians 4, all of these things... All of this kind of life is available to us very simply starting right where we are. We don't have to be someone else or someplace else in our journey to approach the kingdom of God, to be able to step into these wonderful things described in the good and beautiful life. All of that is for us today, right where we are, Right, who we are. But it's going to require us to approach this humbly. There's no magic wand to wave over us and make us into kingdom warriors. If there were, we would have all used it a long time ago. Learning to live in the kingdom is just that. It's a process of learning. Do you remember when Jesus said, Truly I tell you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. One aspect about children that I'm sure he is referring to is their faith and trust. You know, if you tell a fairly young child, hey, let's go to the moon, they say, when are we leaving? But there's another aspect about children that I believe he may well have also been thinking about. And that is that they want to learn. I have five grandchildren, I have five daughters, I've kind of watched my daughters grow up, and now I'm watching these grandchildren grow up, and they are just intrigued with the learning process, particularly, of course, the younger they are. Yeah, I get a little bit older and learning, eh? Not quite so, but... They may not like the means we sometimes impose upon them, like school and classrooms... But children love to learn. And to learn to live in the kingdom will need both of these childlike characteristics. Faith and trust in our teacher, Jesus, and a willingness to learn. A problem I think we have had in this arena, I know that I have, is that we don't tend to think of the things in the Bible as something we need to learn. I believe there's a tendency to read the Bible as stories of other people's lives or as great ideals, but not something we're really to do. Like, love your enemy. Suppose you read that, you just flipped open your Bible and you read that out of the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemy. And you thought, huh, I need to learn how to do that. What is the next thing you would do? You know, there aren't a whole lot of books on workshops or workshops on how to love your enemy, right? I couldn't find any on the internet. I had to make one up. And if we struggled with something like not judging others, would we think, wow, I need to work on that. I need to learn how to not do that. God, could you help me learn to not do that, to not judge others? Does that make sense? Think with me for a minute about sports. We all know this to be true. Let's say you want to run a 5K. 5K, you've never run very much in your life. You're 21, you're not really out of shape, but you know you've not done this before. You've had to run a few laps to kind of, you know, make times or something, but you never really run, you've not been trained. So what would be the first thing you might do? I might suggest signing up for a 5K isn't the first thing to do. But Maybe some of us need that incentive. So if we set it far enough out in advance, maybe that's okay. But then, but then maybe a more helpful step might be to find a partner to run with, right? Somebody else maybe who's done this before, get a little help, someone to kind of support and go along with us. And then the next step might be to get an app for your iPhone. There, there are them, you know, uh, to help you regulate your pace, C25K. Uh, it's out there. It's, good. it's a good app. I know someone who's using it. But this process, as in these other processes we're talking about, are a process of learning. They may even include some unlearning. Maybe you have some poor running techniques because no one's ever told you how to run and you run kind of, you know, wrong, unhelpful. I think when we talk about many of these biblical teachings and principles, we we nod our heads even thinking, yeah, yeah, that would be good. That's a good idea. But we don't really consider what we might do or not do to accomplish it, to become the kind of person who does that or doesn't do that. And we don't often think about the idea of getting a coach or a friend to help us train. One of the parts of the Lord's Prayer is your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, that is an awesome prayer. It it was taught to us by Jesus. It's a good prayer to pray to see the kingdom of God expressed on the earth. But what about to personalize that prayer and to think God, I need your kingdom to come in me. I need your kingdom to be expressed through me. What does that look like? How do I do that? You know, that prayer becomes particularly meaningful when we're tempted to pursue something that is not God's will. Now, I'm, I'm aware of of Christian couples, seemingly strong marriages, where one uh, flips out and commits adultery. And we think, oh my God, how did that happen? They're often even in a small group, other men and women, that they're supposed to be encountering with. And all of a sudden, this horrific thing happens. No, it didn't happen all of a sudden. It was a process. It was a process of not welcoming and inviting and learning how to invite the kingdom of God to come in our life, in my life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of Jesus' arrest, we're told that Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow even to the point of death. And in that state, he prayed, he cried out, Father, Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. But not what I want. Your will be done. If we're going to respond as Jesus did, when we're in a really difficult place, We're going to have to have had a lot of times when we responded this way in easier settings. Kevin mentioned that we're launching uh, a a fast, a 40-day fast. and We've done this every year for a long time. And even as he uh, suggested, you know, try it. You might like it. Um, We have had maybe dozens, I'm not sure, but probably dozens of people who have been very, very significantly changed as a part of this initiation of, of something to work on their discipline, to work on the issue of self-control, to die to themselves. And, and this fast can be about anything that each person chooses. But, but it, it primarily is around this arena of, of self-discipline. You know, we as people, particularly here in the United States, are accustomed to pretty well getting what we want and having our way. We don't really deny ourselves much. But doing this, fasting, is a means of practicing the prayer, not my will, but your will be done, O oh God. Now, I've said before that I really like sweets and candy and certain kinds of cookies and things. I really, really like chocolate. And I eat candy and sweets pretty much every day. I have to, you know, I'm 55 now, so I have to kind of... But I I, I, uh, I give myself to that uh, opportunity. However, um, I made a decision to fast from sweets and... Cookies and ice cream and chocolate and candies and that kind of... Except for my mocha. My mocha in the morning, it isn't really chocolate. It's coffee with some uh, creamer. So it's okay. And it's, it's Splenda. It's Splenda, so it isn't really sugar. So it's not really sweet. So that one's okay. Anyway, um, well, and, and I, I actually... That's one of the things I'm fasting from. Um, and I actually started last weekend. Uh, this this can't. Uh, while I was preparing the lesson last Saturday, I was thinking about the fast coming, and I just thought, you know what? I really am having a hard time with self control in this area. I'm just I got this little jar. Clara buys me these little jars of malt balls, or most recently got this little box of chocolate raspberry. Oh my gosh! And they're still sitting there. They're actually sitting on my desk at work. So all week this week I'm fasting. And I I see that it's over there. And I left it there because I want to be reminded that I am making a decision to say, not my will, but your will be done. Now, I don't think it's God's will that I shouldn't eat chocolate. In fact, I know it's not. And when the fast is over, I'm going right back to it. Probably. feel a little out of control. I, I really reach for that chocolate. It feels a little bit like an addiction. I've had an addiction in the past. I know what those feel like. I don't really like that feeling of being under the control or influence of something else. And so the idea of fasting, the idea even of spiritual disciplines is is bringing ourselves into a place where we're saying, not my will, but your will be done. I was listening to a speaker uh, talk, and it's been helpful to me. Dallas Willard, actually, some audio things I've been listening to. And he was talking about the law, this aspect of the law. And he has a, a very wonderful twist, really, on the idea of the law as God's provision for us to help us uh, Experience the kingdom of God as disciplines, and I started thinking about this idea. What can you know? What are the what can we do to work on this idea of being in control, in charge? Because that's really what we wrestle with as human beings. The, the wrestling match here is: I'm in control of my life. I, I don't really trust God. I'm going to have to take care of it myself, right? That's that's really in a nutshell. So I was thinking about you know when we break the speed laws. Or other uh, laws, traffic laws, let's say, rolling stops, um, you know, passing, you know, two miles an hour over the speed limit. We're kind of saying, eh, doesn't matter. It's not really a big deal. But you know what? That's training us to do, eh, tithe, eh, it's not really a big deal. I'll give. I mean, excuse me. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'm going to give 8%. I'm going to give 8%. God won't care. It doesn't really matter. It's law. It's not law. It's not legalism. But who's in control? Who's in charge? What is it that we need to do? What is it you need to do to die to yourself and allow Christ and the empowerment of God to live through you? You might think about that as you're praying about what, you could fast. Now, this might sound a little bit like I'm talking about some kind of self-improvement plan. But it's not. One, because it isn't on our own. Two, we need some training, some retraining of our body's mind and will. Paul uses the illustration in numerous passages. Put off, The old person. Have your mind renewed and put on new habits, new practices. That's all we're talking about here. This isn't self-help. It's directed by God. It's a process of bringing our mind, our will, under the influence of the Holy Spirit so that we can experience and live in the kind of life we really want. The life that God intends for. 2 Peter 1 5. Very, very, very favorite passage of mine. Um, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness, and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self control, and self control with endurance. That's what I'm working on this week. I think I got this. I'm being able to not take the chocolate. The question is whether or not I'm going to make it. Through 40 days more. In fact, I I have to confess, I actually blew it this week. On Valentine's Day, somebody walked through the office with a plate of chocolate-covered strawberries that were about 10 inches big. And there was almost more chocolate on it than there were strawberries. It'll be okay. It's Valentine's Day. It doesn't. It's a special day. It's okay. It's not a fasting day. I ate one. Crucify me. I'm sorry. Just as the Bible is not so much a book of rules and regulations, it is an invitation to a kind of life so that these expressions of discipline, of self-denial, are not so much about us doing or not doing, they're about becoming a different kind of person on the inside. The outcome is more than just someone doing the right thing, as good as that would be. But becoming the right kind of person, who through this process of transformation comes to a place where they routinely and easily do the kinds of things that Jesus said and did. You know, we we uphold these biblical characters. Paul and Peter, Mary, Jesus. And we just, wow, I could never be like that. But you can. And God wants you to be. How can you change this to become God's warrior? How? How? by how we're talking about right here. But here's the really, really, really good news, and here's the rest of the story again, and the rest of the rest of the story. We don't have to do this on our own. Do you remember I said earlier that we talked two weeks ago about the path to the ruined life, and then the path to the restored life? And what did I call this week? The The path to the empowered life. Don't you love that picture? I love that picture. It's my best favorite picture I've ever used in a PowerPoint. And this is the finale of the talk. In Acts 1.8, after his resurrection, but before his ascension, Jesus told the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3, a couple of verses before what I read earlier, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through knowing Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Paul in Philippians 2.3 God is at work in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And then Ephesians 3.20 Paul says, God is able to do abundantly, exceedingly above all that we can ask or think, and I can think and ask a lot. We can, He will abundantly, exceedingly go beyond that by His power at work where? Within us. How are you going to change? This, by having the Holy Spirit filling us, empowering us, and leading us. We, there's a humongous, that's a real word, I made it up. Uh, there's a significant um, tension between this idea of passivity and activity in the kingdom of God. I really think it's a lot like, um, you know, Jesus being fully man and fully God. This is this is in my notes. This is free. And, um, you know, Jesus at one point, or um, well, first, you know, Paul says, "I can do all things through Christ." Awesome, love it. That's right here. That's the this is an enduring life thing. But then Jesus says, "Without me, you can't do anything." So I I can't do anything, but I can do everything. That doesn't sound right. (laughs) This is not a life intended to be lived independently or on our own. It is a life lived with an independence upon God It is a life lived in action with the empowerment of God to do and be what he's called us to be and do. It's more than an infusion or a transformation. Dallas Willard says, human life was meant to percolate with divine energy. Now, I knew what that word meant because my dad had a percolator, a coffee percolator when I was a kid growing up. It's something about, it's a great word, go look it up. It, it It's a pretty good word. And it's more than just sort of an infusion. It's It's even more than a transfusion. It's a permeation of the divine life changing and transforming every aspect of our being, mind, soul, spirit, and body. it it really is a genetic transformation like kind of the fantasy idea of the superhero Captain America. How do you change this to become that? How do you change this to become God's warrior? And what I'm describing is not fantasy. It's what the Bible describes as the grace The empowering presence of God to be all that God has called us to be and to do all that God has called us to do. Grace is God at work in us, empowering us to do what we cannot do on our own. I can't preach this talk well this morning. Jesus and I were both in 100% agreement on that. I was not very sharp at being able to produce these notes and thoughts yesterday when I was working on them or over the weeks that I've been thinking about this. But God is at work in me, just like he's at work in you, empowering us to do what we cannot do on our own, but are going to do because of that permeation of his life in us. This is what it means to seek first and live in the kingdom of God, to want, to welcome, to invite, to accept, and to submit to the life and will of God working in us to change us into kingdom warriors. Let's pray. God, I so much long for each of us to get this. We live in a world that is hell-bent. We have been trained to seek our own good above the good of others. I have been taught... To take care of myself. Which excludes me from trusting you. And I do not want to live that way anymore. Not my will. Not the way I want the world to be. But the way you want the world to be. And I get big time. That I can't do this. I can't do this but empowered by you, with your life percolating in me, permeating my being, my mind, my will, my emotions, my body, you will change me. And I will not be any longer who I have been, but who you have designed me to be. Not self-help. Transformation. By the living God. By you who has initiated this change in me. Who has said, be being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Let that be true today. Papa, I know so many here need the empowering presence of God to do what they need to do this week, to live through what they need to live through this week, whether it be pain in their bodies or a difficult work situation or a difficult home situation and others that are preparing to share with friends and co-workers about you, and they can't do it on their own. We can't do any of this on our own. Holy Spirit, come, fill us, infuse us, empower us, percolate in us. Your will be done, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we have a little workbook thing that um, is handed out. This is a a tool. It's a little bit like the uh, C25K app, only this app isn't on your phone. It'll be in your Bible probably. It's an app that uh, will help you um, to begin a process of, of what could it look like to take some steps, some actions, to begin to walk out a process of spiritual development, of learning, of discipleship, of being an apprentice of Jesus. Uh, Many of you will find uh, this is um, something possibly to give to a friend. It, it, it by no means is um, the end all of end all. Um, it, it's just a simple step for many. We need that. Many of us don't know how. What is that first step I can take in this process of discipleship of becoming like Jesus? Remember I said it when I was giving those illustrations. Okay, love your enemy. Okay, what's the first step? And what I, I might encourage you... Um, I had this as, a, as an idea of sort of a, a, an additional homework assignment. And I know there is one in the uh, materials and the books that we're using as this tool. But I wonder if perhaps you could spend a little time today or tomorrow in your devotional type. You know, what it, what's, what's an activity in the Bible that's a good activity that God has told us to do, Peter told us, or Paul, or we saw in Jesus. What's an activity that you could work on? You know, we look at the Bible and we think, oh my gosh, I can't do all of that. No, we can't do all of that. We just need to start with one thing. You know, Clara mentioned that, that she um, has shared. Have you shared it up here yet? I've shared it now for you. Um, you'll teach next week so you can talk about it again. Anyway, she, she recognized that she wrestles with this idea of judging others or evaluating others by the way they look or dress or whatever. You know, it's the idea judging. And the father was engaging her in a a time of reflections that she needed to work on that. And he gave her a tool. And the tool was, you know, when she sees somebody and and that um, natural process of judgment begins, that she capture that thought and say the words... As if from the voice of God, you have to tell them to me I don 't this person is made in my image, and I don't want to be separated from them forever that's a tool that's a that 's a little barbell right and it's not a hard barbell I mean we're not talking about she's not trying to lift eight hundred pounds you know when she weighs hundred and thirty or twenty whatever right it doesn't We can't start with 300 pounds. We start with the little barbell. We start with, you know, getting up and going to the uh, club. (laughs) And that's the biggest thing, just walking across the room. You know, is really the first step that most of us need to take for exercise. And it's the same way with these. We need a vision, attention, and we need a means we need a barbell. We need something to do. And that's what we want to see this time of this 40 days become for you. You're going to set aside, put off, probably. You, you could take on, but usually we have to make space. So if you're going to take something on, you're going to need to put something off. A good friend of mine years ago, when he first, when he first engaged this, he, he put off an extra hour or two of sleep. put that off and put on getting up early and he's done it almost every day for the last eight ten years seven years and it's transformed his life that what that little step now that might be a big step for you maybe your step might be much a much simpler lighter weight it's okay that's what this time's about so what I want to do is uh just I think that many of you here might be resonating with aspects of this um, and I, I just want to give an opportunity to be able to pray for one another. We have a variety of models at the end where we do ministry and um, you don't need to follow we're going to do two different things first thing is I, I'm just in just a minute I'm going to welcome those who would who would who are engaging with this material this morning. Engaging with the Holy Spirit. What He's you saying? Not really with me. Things I said, but things that the Holy Spirit is prompting in your heart. And, and you'd like to take a step. Not even sure what that step is. Well, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to suggest to you that your first step is going to be to stand. To, to sort of say, you know what? I, I need help. I, 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 I do agree I can't do this on my own and I would, I would like some help. And we're going to gather around as a, as a body, as a family, the, the presence of Jesus on the earth, to pray for one another. And we have enough folks in our uh, congregation here who are trained, and it'll be careful, it'll be nice. Uh, no one's going to yell and scream and hit you on the forehead. Um, unless you're... Well, anyway. then Then, for those of you who don't feel you can take that step, that that's too heavy, after that, we're going to provide a time where there will be some leaders up at the front who also would be happy to pray with you, to hear what's happening in your life and to pray with you. So right now, if, if, you, if, there's, if there's some aspect of this that's resonating with you, some kind of agreement with, with God, with these themes, would you stand? And, and you want help. Uh, Vineyard Church San Antonio members, would you who feel able to partner, to just come alongside somebody, to be not the coach, but to be a friend who's coming alongside to help, would you stand up and get with one of these people? Predominantly, we like, we suggest, women with women, men with men. It's most helpful. So could we get some of the church folks first, standing and coming around? This includes everybody who's been trained to help. We need people to pray for these people. Yeah, sometimes you have to turn to one another. There just aren't enough folks. There's uh keep coming, there's uh Neals back there. If you don't have someone standing with you yet, would you please raise your hand? We, we've got two people down here, that, two gals, that we don't have anyone standing with. And we've got another one there. Okay. Now, if some of you are our guests and um, you would like to participate with any of these groups, you are welcome to stand and join them and to pray with them, if you would like. So we're going to do that, and then I'm going to go ahead and release the service. I'm going to stay up front, and if there's any of you who want to join me uh, to just kind of hang out and be out here, and be ready to pray with anyone who wasn't comfortable with this, you can We're a uh, relationship-based church. This is a little relationship-based, what we're doing. And God is here. So Holy Spirit, we thank you and we welcome you for the transformation that is in your heart and mind for these folks. Might your kingdom come. Let your power come. Let the filling of your Holy Spirit come for that transformation that these folks are desiring and longing for. Let it come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Rest of you, thank you for hanging out with us. And I hope you have a great uh, Sunday. Join us over at Grady's across the street if you'd like. Otherwise...